As Brian said, God's word has the power to change us and anchor us. I encourage you to follow along with me on page nine. The kids program, it's on page eight as I read from Deuteronomy six. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. Skipping ahead to chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground, where there was no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock? Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end? But beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sam. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are indeed filled with grace. Wonder upon wonder comes into our lives from you. Uh, this is no less true, not least true, uh, when your word is opened and read and proclaimed and when your good news goes forth. We don't fully understand how it works, O oh God, but we claim your promise that your words bring life because your words communicate you to us. And so would that be true for us this morning? Would you meet us through your word? Father, each of us need you to show up in different ways in our lives. I don't know all the ways, but I know the ways that I need you to show up in my life. And so I pray that you would do it. Would you be faithful to your promise for each and every one of us in this room? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we stay in the game when the game is hard? How do we stay in the game when the game is hard? 
We've been studying the book of Deuteronomy this fall, and we've seen over and over and over again that Deuteronomy is God's blueprint for a life well-lived, for a life as individuals and as a community, a life that is rooted deeply into relationship with God in such a way that bears fruit for those around us. And Deuteronomy is the blueprint of how that works. And we've seen it beautifully in the past two Sundays as we've looked at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that begin with God's reminder of what He did. I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now receive my grace and then live into it. Love me. Love your neighbor. First four commandments direct us toward God in love, and the last six direct us out from that love into our world, bearing His love. And then, last week in Deuteronomy 6, we studied the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and receive His love and His grace and His wonders for you. And then do what? Love the Lord your God. And as Jesus reminds us, loving God is in tandem with loving our neighbor with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a beautiful, compelling portrait of a way that we can live as people who have been freed by the grace of God, putting roots down into our relationship with Him so that we can bear fruit in the lives of our communities and those around us. Beautiful and compelling, and yet, so challenging. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. God wants everything from us. The life is a gift. The life is beautiful. It's fulfilling. It's for others. And yet it's not easy. And so how do we stay in the game, particularly when the game is hard? That's a question uh, maybe that's on our minds culturally this week. Some of you, perhaps many of you, have been following the story out of Dallas of the officer who was off duty uh, and shot her neighbor and tragically killed him. I don't want to go into all the cultural and sociological challenges that this case brings to light. That's not my purpose here, but maybe if you've been following that, you had the chance to see the victim's younger brother at the sentencing hearing and watch as this brave young man lived out Jesus' command to love our enemies as ourselves and to extend forgiveness to our enemies in an incredibly powerful way. It's not my story to tell. I'd encourage you to go find that video and watch it if you haven't had a chance. How? How is he able to do that? How is a young man able to live out of a life in Christ in such compelling love for an enemy in the circumstances of the tragic death of his brother? How does that happen? Uh, This question is incredibly personal for me. Yesterday afternoon, I received news that one of my uncles was killed in a tragic boating accident. Um, You'll learn, as you get to know me, that have a very large, very loving extended family, and probably outside of my immediate family, 
none have been more impactful in my life than my uncle Ted. And so the question for me isn't academic. It's not just theological. It's very, very personal and very, very practical. Literally, how am I going to do this good thing that God is calling me to do, to preach a sermon from His Word, when the game is really hard right now for me? How does it work? Where does the motivation and where does the strength come from to dig deep in response to God's grace and to continue to live out the kind of love that we so desire in the midst of the challenges of our lives? I don't know what the answer is and was for the young man in Dallas. Um, the answer in part for me has come from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. We remember. We remember the connection between our present faithfulness and God's past faithfulness is remembering. You may have noticed in chapter 8, uh, we didn't read all of it, but if we did, Moses tips us off five times. He either says, remember or don't forget. And if you're reading the Bible, that's a tip. That's a key that you should pay attention to what he's talking about when he repeats a word or an idea five times. Remember, don't forget, he says. Remember that the Lord, your God, brought you out of Egypt. Remember and don't forget. In chapter 6, verse 20, he doesn't just say remember. He shows us how to remember. Uh, turn there with me on page 9 in your worship folder. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you. Now, the question isn't so much, what's the content of the commandments? The question has more of the force of, what's the purpose of these statutes and these blueprints of how to live? And how do we live them out? It's the child of the next generation asking the parents, what is all this loving God and loving neighbor business about anyway, dad and mom? And Moses says, say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out. Tell the story so that the story can be remembered. Could it really be that simple, friends? That the habit, that the spiritual practice, that the pattern of life that can connect us to God's faithfulness in the past for the sake of living faithfully in the present is remembering. Well, you know this, something that is simple isn't always easy, right? And as we take a look, uh, we'll see first that we have a propensity toward misremembering. We have a propensity toward misremembering as God's people. Second, we can see that as we come to remember, there is particular content for us. What do we remember? And then finally, how do we remember? So our misremembering, for you note takers, the content of our remembering, and then how we remember. For some reason, we tend to forget. 
Is this true of you? You may be a longtime follower of Jesus, and yet in your day-to-day rhythms, your functional life, when you wake up and spend a day and then go to sleep, sometimes you look back over the day and you realize, I haven't given a thought to God at all. I haven't remembered who he has been in the past as I try to live for him right now in the present. We tend to forget. And Moses knows exactly why we forget as well. Did you notice, again, in chapter 8, when we begin in verse 11, Moses doesn't start out by saying, remember, what does he say? Take care lest you forget. Take care lest you forget. He doesn't begin with an invitation toward remembering. He begins with a command to not forget. Why would he begin with a command to not forget? Because he knows that Israel has a tendency to forget. You know how this works in your own life, don't you? When Kathy asks me, did you remember to give the dog his worm medicine? She's not asking me that because she loves being an ag. She's asking me that because she knows I have a tendency to forget things like giving the dog the worm medicine. And Moses knows that we have a tendency to forget God's goodness and his work on our behalf. He actually knows more than that. He knows why. Look again with me, if you would, at verses 11 through 14 of chapter 8. He says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command to you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your hearts will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Oh, the tragic irony. Do you see what's going on here? Moses is saying, God has delivered you from the house of slavery in Egypt. He's brought you into this good land and he's given you all these good things. But be careful because when you get these good gifts, you will have the tendency to forget the giver. Why does it work that way? Does it work that way in your life? Friends, we live in the most wealthy nation, in the most wealthy era in the history of the world. We have so much. Even those of us who only have little, comparatively, have so much. We were talking in our parish group about this idea of living a day without a thought toward God. And somebody was honest enough to say, you know, the thing that keeps me from thinking about God in my life is my comfort. My life is pretty good. My life is pretty easy. My life is pretty nice. And because of that, I forget that my nature fundamentally is a needy creature who must receive every good thing from a generous provider. The good gifts can buffer our remembering who we are as creatures who need God to provide for us. Friends, there's nothing wrong with having 
an income that provides a place to live and food on the table for a family. There's nothing wrong with living in Austin, one of the top cities for creatives in the country. There's nothing wrong with being able to go to Austin City Limits and have that disposable income and enjoy good music and good culture. There's nothing wrong with being able to go out to dinner on a weekend or even a weeknight. There's nothing wrong with having a career that is fulfilling and providing. There's nothing wrong with having a family that is beautiful and fills our day. There's nothing wrong. Those are good gifts for God. But can they not also give us a sense of spiritual amnesia that we can become so comfortable in the life that God has blessed us with, we forget to remember that all those good things are a gift from Him. And that the only reason we have any of those things is because He has been graciously working on our behalf. And as if that isn't enough, we're reminded in verse 17 that sometimes we double down on our amnesia. Not only do we forget that those good gifts come from the good gift giver, we can become so full of our own selves that we forget that there is a good giver at all. Did you catch this? Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. It's my brains that got me into the University of Texas. Right? It's my hard work that got me this income. Take care lest you forget. Remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you power to get wealth. It is He who confirms His covenant with you. Can you relate at all to these ancient people of God that sometimes the good gifts of God can cause us to forget the giver himself? And yet God has a way of getting our attention, doesn't he? And there are times in our lives when the circumstances of our life break into that comfort and strip away the pretense of our control. And remind us that we are contingent creatures living only because a generous God has gifted us what we have. Sometimes a brother is shot. Sometimes an uncle drowns and you realize there either is a good gift giver or there isn't. And there's no in-between. We either remember who God is or we don't. My encouragement to all of us this morning, friends, is let's not wait for God to have to get our attention. Let's remember in the good times and the hard times who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let's strengthen that spiritual muscle of remembering connecting the dots between God's past for us and our present faithfulness for Him. What might remembering look like? What would we remember if we give ourselves to that practice? Now, two things we see here. First, we remember the grand story of God's redemption. And second, we remember the personal and intimate story of God at work in each of our individual lives. 
Let's take those in reverse order. First, remember, look back upon, reflect in the work that God has done in your life, personally, particularly, specifically, for you. Yes, He is at work cosmically, grandly. He brought His people out of Egypt into the land, and yet He brought each particular person out of Egypt into the land. The language of chapter 8 reminds us of this in verses 15 and 16. He says, remember, God led you through the wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Remember, who brought you water out of that flinty rock? Remember, who fed you in the wilderness with the manna? Remember how God provided so well for you. Reflect back upon the work that God has done. Not just cosmically, but personally. For you. That's been my work for the last eight or ten waking hours is to think back and to remember. I've been thinking a lot about my uncle. Remembering. His fingerprints are all over my life. Now this is uh, the uncle who invited me to live in his house with his family for a year when I was just out of college working as an intern with youth ministry reminding me that I'm somebody who was valued and mattered to somebody else. Reminding me that hospitality is an awesome, awesome task to take up for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. This is my uncle who, as a pastor, gave me categories that vocational ministry is something that might be a calling on God's, of God's in my life and for my life. He's a pastor who showed me that you can actually be a pastor and have fun. In fact, the only really good way to be a pastor is to find out ways to have fun as you're doing it. This is an uncle who fired me from my first job out of college, which was to uh, work with his church to develop an elementary school. And the funding didn't come through, and so we were sitting at staff meeting at Wolfie's Diner and he said, well, guys, the money didn't come through, and so I'm going to have to fire John right now. And they didn't really know him well, and so they kind of laughed like you did. And he said, no, I'm serious. John, sorry, you're fired. But he knew it was for my good. He knew that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing with my life. This is an uncle who got me my internship in New York City with Reform University Ministries, where I met my wife. It's the reason why that kid right there exists. This is the uncle who sat with me at a booth at Friendly's Diner in Orlando, Florida, six weeks after Kathy and I moved out of New York City and those planes flew into the towers in 2001 and was just there with me. It's the uncle who, though ahead of me in years and wisdom would continue to call me up and ask my advice. It's an uncle who never, ever stopped checking in to see how I was doing. The one who listened to my anxieties about a new job in a new city with a new crazy congregation. 
So as I tried to put my money where my mouth was in preparation for this sermon, and remember what I realized and recognized, and you know this is true in your life, that it wasn't just Ted's fingerprints all over my life. It was God's fingerprints all over my life through Ted. And so it's been a privilege for me to take some time to remember God's work in my life personally, intimately. Yes, through others. But directly to me so that I could be here right now and do the work that he's asking me to do with you. Remember God's story in your life. And some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking and saying, but I don't have yet a story of God involved in my life. I'm here and I'm exploring Christianity. I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure what you're talking about when you say there's a God that works through somebody else in your life. And I would encourage you in two ways. One, if you're sitting here thinking about Jesus, you should know God's been at work in your life, whether you realize it or not. And two, you are being invited right now into a larger, grander story that is far greater than just your own. We remember not just our own story, but we remember the story Chapter 6, when your kids ask, what do you say? Tell them the story. We were Pharaoh's slaves, and God brought us out of the land. He purchased us from slavery. He redeemed us. He brought us into the good land, and he graciously gifted us with every good thing, the heart of which is relationship with him. He's given us this covenant in his grace and offered us an opportunity to respond in love. And friends, that is the story that Israel was invited to remember over and over and over again. And let me remind you that we here in Austin, Texas, in 2019, have such a greater story even than this. Some of you know the end of the story for Israel. They failed to keep covenant over and over and over again. And finally, they were exiled into the nations. But there was a promise that God had made that he would ultimately, fully, and finally bring them back, redeem them not just from the evils out there, but from the evils of their own heart, reconstitute them as his people. And as the Gospels open, the story of the New Testament opens God's people are still waiting. And the gospel stories that tell us the story of Jesus tell us the story of the fulfillment of this great story that we're reading about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Think about the opening of the gospel of Mark. Let me read it for you, just to remind you. In the beginning... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it was written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. 
Mark opens, quoting Isaiah, saying, Yahweh himself, the same God who delivered his people from Egypt, that Yahweh is coming again. As Rain prayed, he is going to make all things new. He's going to unleash his new creation. And then Mark says what? John the Baptist came in the wilderness and started pointing to Jesus. Jesus standing in the shoes of Yahweh, of God, coming back to his people and fulfilling this grand story. So how do you love your neighbor, and not just your neighbor, how do you love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you in Dallas? You remember the story of Jesus, who not just forgave you, his enemy, by your own action, not his, but he gave his very life to do so. How do you preach a sermon and reflect on God's word in the shadow of death? Only by remembering that death has been defeated. Not just the pharaohs of the world, but death that lies behind those pharaohs. That sin has been vanquished. And death is a vandal, but a vandal with no real power in the face of Jesus because Jesus has been raised from the grave and is alive. For every how can I right now, there is an act of Jesus that you can look to, that you can remember, that you can draw on and connect the dots from who he has been and is for you to what he's asking you to do at any given moment. Even this given moment, how do we remember? If it's a spiritual practice to engage, what is that practice? I'll tell you two things. One, learn how to be a good storyteller. Learn how to be a good storyteller. Ted was the best of storytellers. Ask Kathy about Ted telling stories at our rehearsal dinner. They were wonderful they had nothing to do with me or Kathy, but they were good stories. My father passed away of a sudden heart attack 10 years ago, and I remember vividly the next evening, that evening, sitting on my mom's porch with friends and loved ones telling stories, Ted at the fore. Learn how to tell stories and see the fingerprints of God in them. The second is simply this. Continue to come to worship on Sunday morning. Do you know what we're doing here on Sunday morning in worship? We're having the story told to us. The grand story of Jesus' love and redemption over and over and over. We sing it in the hymns, we pray it in our prayers, we engage it in the liturgy, we have it come alive to us in the scriptures, and then we act it out at the table, 
And as we are reminded of the story, we leave here sent out to do the next right thing of loving God and loving our neighbor, whether it's hard or easy. Friends, it's the privilege and it's the call for this congregation. Uh, May it be Jesus' call for you as well this morning. Let's pray. Grant us your grace, Jesus. Grant us your mercy. Grant us a willingness to spend time reflecting upon your activity in our life together in worship in our parish groups on our own. Might we have a fresh remembrance of you this morning. Renew us and restore us to your joy with your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.